Breaking news for the second time in two weeks. The Riverside Sheriff's Department is mourning the loss of a deputy killed in the line of duty. Officers across the country are paying with their lives for failed justice policies. In 2022, a Riverside County Sheriff's deputy was murdered by a lifelong felon with an extensive criminal history dating back to 2000. This monster was only on the streets because a county judge allowed him to be free on bail following the most recent conviction for a violent felony, which was his third strike. Today we're joined by Bill Young, president of the Riverside Sheriff's Association. The RSA, which is one of the newest FOP lodges, represents over 3,500 law enforcement officers. I am Patrick Yeos, national president of Fraternal Order Police. This is the Blue View. Bill, first, thanks for joining us on the Blue View, Blue View podcast. But but first, I want to I want to welcome you to the FOP, our newest lodge, uh, the uh, Riverside County Deputy Sheriff's Association. And uh, but I also want to thank you for for your leadership. Uh, I watch the way that you you uh, represent your members and the work that you do, and uh, just in such a professional way. And uh, that's that's who we are. Uh, just law enforcement officers across this country that are invested in our communities, and and, and we all want the same thing. So, so thank you and, and welcome to the FOP. Uh, before we get started, let's tell our viewers and our listeners a little bit about you. Well, I'm a, a deputy sheriff, as you said, with the Riverside County Sheriff's Department in Southern California. We're nestled in between uh, LA County and Orange County and San Bernardino County. And we stretch from LA County all the way to the Arizona state line. Uh, we represent about um, 41, 4,200 members, 3,500 active. And uh, I've been in law enforcement now since 2000 when I was hired by the Sheriff's Department as a community service officer. Um, got that niche early on and started applying everywhere to be a cop as soon as I turned 20 and a half. And uh, LAPD picked me up and I started there in 2002 and was there for a few years and lateraled over to the Sheriff's Department uh, where I've been since then. Um, since then, I've been assigned to patrol, aviation, and uh, traffic where I was riding a motor when I got... Uh, Kind of bamboozled into being president and elected president. Yeah. Uh, we needed somebody to step forward, and and I did. I was on the board of directors, so I stepped forward and and uh, took it on and with a main goal of wanting to give back to my membership and and make them feel appreciated by the association. Yeah, and well, we're glad to have as part of the FOP family. You know, Bill, I want to I want to go back uh, just the last part of uh, of last year and the beginning of this year, a two week period, uh, just right around two weeks. Uh, your agency, uh, your membership, lost two officers, senseless, you know, just senseless uh, attacks on law enforcement. Uh, tell us, tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about uh, those two weeks and the tragedy that came upon your, your agency. Well, you know, quite honestly, I was out actually taking a much-needed uh, vacation. Um, you as president know how, um, and probably even more than me, how busy we get. So I, I went away for a quick weekend of golf and got that phone call that no president ever wants to have, um, that one of our motors had been shot immediately went to work trying to figure out what was going on. And, um, you know, shortly thereafter found out that he was gunned down, shot in the face by, a, um, just a, a person that shouldn't have been out there, you know, and, and murdered by somebody that should have been locked up, uh, but wasn't because our criminal justice system, um, allowed choices to a judge um, who exercised them and, and let somebody out that shouldn't have been out. So, um, and I uh, went on that and, and started, you know, the process with that and dealing with the family and ensuring that they felt that they were still part of the, the brotherhood and um, took care of them and uh, 
just shortly as that was starting to wrap up and people were just getting back to, um, I don't want to say normal, but getting back to being able to deal with it. Um, got the phone call again and, uh, just thought that there was no way. Um, and that when I was home and got to, uh, turn on the radio and, and hear all that while I was making my way down there. And, uh, that's when we lost Darnell Calhoun as well. So, yeah, that's, it's tragic. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about both of these officers. So Isaiah was a young uh, officer. He had started with the Sheriff's Department as a correctional deputy. Uh, we represent correctional deputies as well. And he got the niche, wanted to become a street cop, and uh, went out and started putting his time in and, uh, you know, jumped on a motor uh, like most cops probably would because uh, we all kind of look up to him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, just giving a shout-out to my motors out there. I but, understand. But uh, so he jumped on a bike and was newly on, on the bike, but – you know, in watching his uh, body-worn camera, uh, he was out doing what cops sign up to do. You know, he saw a vehicle that just shouldn't have been in the area or caught his eye and, and, and thought, man, that uh, the, the spider senses are going off. So he uh, started tracking that vehicle down and uh, found it pulled over on the side of the road and started his investigation from there and uh, makes contact with the driver uh, who's you know, violating all kinds of different laws and everything. And, uh, the driver, you know, does his tweaker tail about the vehicle registration and all that. And without any warning or indication, um, in the blink of eye pulls out a gun and, and, and shoots our poor boy in the uh, face, um, killing him instantly. And then he flees the area. Uh, fortunately we were able to pull the, um, Viview footage, or I'm sorry, not Viview anymore, the um, Axion footage, uh, and uh, identify the driver and put it out. And thankfully, we had some great cops from the city of Beaumont that were uh, out, you know, diligently looking for the dirt bag, and they were able to locate them on the freeway, at which time, you know, we were able to get troops to the area and, and fortunately protect everybody else from the raft that he was slowly unraveling on everybody else. Yeah. And then the second one? Second one was Darnell. Um, young, young deputy as well. Uh, was working for the city of San Diego and, and, you know, one of those tired of making the commute down, wanted to get back to the area that he grew up from. He was a, a Christian raised in the area there in Lake Elsinore. So he wanted to move back and he was raising his family of two young babies yeah. or not babies, two young kids and a, and a baby on the way doing April and, um, saving up to buy a house and just, uh, went to work like everybody else and answered a domestic call. Um, one that we all answer, you know, somebody, a kid not wanting to go with another parent over, you know, a custody exchange basically and gets there, gets the address first and, uh, made the judgment call that hey, I need to I need to interact and and uh, put his you know safety uh, to the side and did it as safely as he could, but in a- interacted right away to to ensure that somebody else was safe. And as he approached the house, he was ambushed uh, by the suspect in this case. Uh, for what reason we have no idea right now because he's still not um, recovered all the way to where he can talk and may never ever. Uh, but he was ambushed, and then the suspect fled, and uh, Darnell still pursued and, and entered into a gun battle with a, with a dirtbag who was fighting on his own territory and his own thing. Um, unfortunately, he was gunned down. 
His partner arrived shortly after who the suspect engaged. Uh, the partner engaged the suspect in, in a shootout, um, at, at which time the suspect's family, who called us to, to go there and help them out, decided they were going to interact and started um, distracting and um, yelling and, and wanting the officer to stop. But um, fortunately, the officer was able to eliminate the, the threat by shooting the suspect, at, and, and he fell and was taken. Um, they immediately turned to locating uh, Darnell, who was found a couple houses down uh, in the yard of another house, and they scooped him up and took him to the hospital. And unfortunately, he didn't make it when he got there after um, after a long time. I, I'd like to give the hospital credit a lot of, or the hospital staff a lot of credit. They they pumped his heart and and worked on him for over an hour and tried everything they could. But unfortunately, God's will was to take him from yeah. us, and that's where he's at yeah. now. Uh, so tragic, so yeah. tragic. In, in both these instances, let's talk about the uh, perpetrator. Um, you know, anybody who's worked in law enforcement for more than a minute knows that the majority of crime in this country is committed by a small percentage of people. Mm -hmm. And when we can, we can take these people off the street, we impact crime. Mm -hmm. When we put them back on the street, crime continues. Uh, so let's talk about the perpetrators in both of these. Um, they both had criminal histories, didn't they? Oh, uh, they did. They both had it. One, the, uh, McKay, the one that murdered, um, Isaiah had a, had a lot more and, and definitely should not have been out. Um, that one, he had a lengthy rap sheet, had been involved in police chases and uh, violence towards officers before. Um, he shot a police canine at one point in time and um, had a, um, a woman that he was uh, involved with and, and held her against her will for several days. Um, just, I mean... Every bit of crime that he could commit, he was committing to, to do it. I think he had a lifelong goal to be part of a, uh, a motorcycle gang. Um, so everything to him was to build street credit, it seemed like. And, uh, you know, he had been arrested. He was going away for life and, he, and should have been in jail. Unfortunately, the uh, criminal justice system in the state of California has been um, geared to helping the, the suspects instead of the victims. And uh, it allowed a judge to make a judgment call, um, not a call that she had to make, but a judgment call. And she used her judgment and made the, the, the call to release him uh, when he was facing a life sentence. And we believe that that's what made him do what he was doing because he didn't want to, he knew he was going back to jail for life and wanted to try every way he could to get out of doing that. So. And he, he had nothing to lose at that point. Exactly. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, these decisions, look, a lot of what we do is judgment calls. Yep. You know, we weigh all of the factors and make some decisions, and we live with what the results are. In this particular case, what we need to do is live with the fact that a person that clearly did not belong on the street mm -hmm. has impacted uh, the lives of, of an entire family and, uh, and, and, and took the life of an officer who, whose, only, whose only sin was as he decided to be a public servant and, uh, and help others. And, and you know, um, it brings up a good point, though, is we're elected officials. You're elected. I'm elected. The judge was elected. And and part of the power of being an elected official is you get to make those judgment calls. Yeah. However, you got to answer for that. So um, there has been a recall started in, in the state. Um, the public has started it. Uh, we're supporting it, but we're letting the public, the actual people that elected yeah. her to be there, do it. And she needs to face it. And if she doesn't get recalled from it, then then that's fine. But she, she does have to answer for that decision. Yeah. Yeah, how tragic. And a second incident? The second incident, um, 
he had a, he had a lengthy criminal history. Um, wasn't a um, you know stel- a stellar citizen or anything like that. He hadn't been in trouble for a while. Um, you know, who knows that if he had actually served the time that he was supposed to on his other stuff, um, would he have been the same person that he was when he did that? But at the at the time, he was living a, a decent life. Um, but you know, uh, was he? We don't know why he did what he did. It just well, safe to say, there's in law enforcement, there's no such thing as a routine call. No, none. And uh, these are two perfect examples, or tragic examples, uh, to, to to illustrate just how dangerous it is to be a policeman, mm-hmm. and you know, do law enforcement in today's society. Yeah. Now, the reason why I ask you all of this is because you recently wrote an op-ed that that appeared in uh, a number of publications, including the FOP Journal, uh, publications in California, having to do with the attacks on law enforcement, uh, the, the, the damage that has been done over the two-year period, but more importantly, all of the failed experiments that have been done so-called in the name of criminal justice reform. And, and in reality, uh, and I think if we look over and over and over, all of these things uh, have one common factor, and that is the people who do policing every day, people who understand policing. Mm-hmm. When decisions are made by people who have no clue, have never keyed a mic in a police car, uh, who never responded to any of these calls, uh, all as, as well intended as they may be, there are consequences with it. And uh, removing us from these discussions, we all want the same thing. We all want to have professional law enforcement, quality law enforcement, safe communities, but, but not allowing us to be part of those discussions. It's created a the social experiment across this country where there's a rush to judgment and uh, trying to, trying to, to f- change uh, the criminal justice system. Um, and we're seeing the results of it. We're seeing crimes all across this country. Talk about the op-ed. What, what, was your, what was your motivation? Tell us about the op-ed and tell us your thoughts. Dig a little deeper into it and tell us, how do we get to this point? Well, I wanted to give our brothers and sisters um, that wear the badge every day uh, a voice because it's, it's happening all over. I mean, shortly thereafter, the officer in Selma was killed by somebody that should yeah. have been in jail. Um, and a prime example of what's going on right now is we have an attorney general in the state of California um, albeit he called me and expressed his sorrow for the loss of our officers. Um, but that was it. No public statement about it. It was a personal phone call that he called and gave me. Uh, but fast forward a couple months, um, and, uh, he goes on a press conference to announce that he's going to look into the sheriff's department for mishandling of 18, I think it's 18 inmate deaths over the course of a, a, a year. And although I know inmates are, are human beings and everything like that, um, to go out on as the attorney general, the top law enforcement officer in the state of California, to go out and say that you want to look into the causes of death because you don't believe whatever or you, or you want to transparent, but you never did anything about, hey, let's look into the reason why in a matter of a month or two, we've lost three or four cops in the state of California to people that have um, taken advantage of a criminal justice system that's being given away um, and never once announced to look into that. He cared more about people who don't live an honorable life that yeah, they're human rights and they deserve rights and we're human beings and they deserve rights and we'll give them to them, but doesn't want to look into the reason why honorable men and women are dying, um, almost on a weekly basis, maybe a monthly basis now, um, as a result of people that should have been locked up for punishment and crimes that they committed against other human beings, uh, we're losing sight of the victims. Um, you know, the other day we had a, um, 
a bill or a uh, California Public Safety Committee through the assembly. And uh, one of the Republican lawmakers, so he didn't gain much traction there, uh, but one of them introduced a bill and bringing back enhancements for guns, gun enhancements. And all the Public Safety Committee members really cared about was, well, we've talked to the the parents of the suspects that go to jail and they don't like it when their suspects or when their kids go to jail and are incarcerated for a long time. And this is going to keep them away and never once made any mention about, well, what about the victims of those crimes that, right. you know, the victims that don't get their loved ones back. And so, I mean, I, I know that's probably way longer than you wanted, but no, no, um, it's, I think, I think what you're doing is illustrating the problem that we have today. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's, we can't ignore the fact that when, when there's consequences to one's actions, uh, that is a deterrent. Mm-hmm. You take away those consequences, I for the life of me cannot understand how some people think that a little crime is okay. To suggest that crime is okay, that we're going to legalize certain crimes, um, how that makes our community safer. Yeah. Uh, you know, here's, here's the thing. We all know the difference between right, right and wrong. We were taught that when we were kids. All right. We hope to think that we were taught that when we were kids. So we know, we know when something's right and when something's wrong. Mm-hmm. But when you gray that area in between, well, no one can figure out what's right and wrong. And that's, that's the reality of it. So what we've done is there's no right and wrong anymore. What we're doing is saying it's okay to be, you know, to, to be a little wrong. And, and somehow that grows and, and grows and grows and, 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 and with the belief that somehow our community is going to be safer. How, do we, how does anyone wrap their head around that? I mean, I just, yeah. uh, I, I give you an example. Some laws would say that we're not going to enforce uh, petty theft anymore. Okay, well, that's fine. How many, how many mom and pop stores can stay open None. today? Yeah. I mean, are they not victims? Well, and how many closing. can stay open if everything they have is walking out the door and there's nothing, there's no, no recourse? What, is, what about their rights? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, what about the quality of a community when businesses start driving and drying up and then we create deserts within a community where you can't find drug stores, you can't find grocery stores, you can't find all of these things? You look at these policies, you know, you referred to in, in your article about these failed experiments, these failed policies across this country. Help me reconcile, you know, yeah. am I missing something? How is it that we think that a lot of these things are going to make our community safer? Because the data is consistently showing in a rise in crimes that have been implemented. Yeah, it's, it's because they're, they're not caring about those quality of life things, you know, um, the other day, in broad daylight, uh, a lady comes out of a bowling alley in our area to witness two people stealing a catalytic converter from a, a car in broad daylight, and it's because the criminals know that they can get away with it. Like, what are you going to do? Even if you, even if I get arrested, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, um, and get charged or whatever. They're just going to roll it into the 15 other crimes that I've committed in the last month, right. and they're going to give me credit for time served, and they're going to let me out. Like. I'm all for um, adding stuff to it to call it criminal justice reform if you want or whatever. Bring heck, bring back like the old California Conservation Corps where you go out and you know clean roads. We got plenty of things that could be done to help um, offset first time offenders or maybe even your second time offenders. But when when they're repeatedly offending, um, then obviously it's not working by continuing to just cut their punishment. Um, and, and that's where, you know, that's the reform we need to get into. If we're going to add, um, you know, alternatives and stuff like that. I I ran the Elsinore Valley youth court, uh, when I was a deputy at the Lake Elsinore station and it was one of the best programs out there prior to really kind of going away. And that was, you know, 
neat because I was able to give these kids that, you know, maybe they stole a pack of gum or whatever, um, but to not ruin their, their life. And we gave them community service and we did programs with them um, to teach them what life's about and, and the, just the common core values of life. And to watch these kids, you know, later on grow on to be, you know, some became cops, some became other things, but just to make stuff out of their life, I get it. I, I'll support that all day long. But when you start continually violating and now the quality of life is, you know, uh, going down for everybody, that's where I, I, I have to draw the line. And I mean, you get rogue prosecutors that yeah. don't want to uh, prosecute. They're more worried about prosecuting cops for doing their job than they are the, the criminals that are out there. So um, it, it, it it's tough. So I wrote the article to just try to bring attention to it. You know, again, nobody from the, from the assembly or the lawmakers, or the legislators have called me and, and, and reached out and said, no, you know, hey, what's going on? Uh, no, they, we got, we got them in California that are introducing bills to take away canines. Um, and that's a local lawmaker that was elected out of, I mean, the area next to our office. Do you think he once picked up the phone and said, Hey, Hey Bill, this is, this is what I want to accomplish. Can you help me accomplish that? Or tell me, tell me your thoughts on, on the pros and cons of doing so. Yeah. Hey, look, I, 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 what, what we see in, in, in your article is striking because it's a problem that exists throughout this entire country. Mm-hmm. And that is, is there's a movement by a number of people and, and, and it's, it's the, it's the vocal minority. It's a small group of people uh, but they they get the press. They you know they and, and, and politicians uh, pander to them. But polls show that Americans across this country are in fear of crime. Eighty four percent. And in a recent poll that I saw, it, we're all united on on our concern and our safety within our communities. Yet we still are going down this path of these failed policies. And these failed policies are, in a nutshell, are decriminalizing criminals and depolicing police. And I, I try to wrap my head around trying to understand how some of these policies that we have a belief that's going to make our community safe. That's the first problem I have. And the second one is, how many times do we have to look at a rise of crime over a two-year period and say, you know what, maybe we need to reverse course. Maybe we went too far. But we don't. We, we, although we do see cities doing that, we do see uh, you know, people backing up saying, you know, maybe, maybe this wasn't uh, the best approach. Maybe there's a better way to fix it. And having everyone give some input on the solution to it, as opposed to the Russian judgment before. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to I change gears a little bit, because yeah, there's yeah. A, a challenge across this country. You know, we, we talk, we know what the problem is. The problem is, is that, uh, that, that, that criminal justice system, as long as we are going to continue to take away the deterrence of people um, following a rule of law, then we're going to we see the consequences from it. Uh, we see the damage that is done in, in in cities across this country that have gone down that path, and in some extents continue to. Uh, and I'm I'm very pleased to see that there's some change in it. But there, there's another crisis in law enforcement, and uh, I've been talking about it for a while. Uh, you and I just left a, a conference where our urban cities uh, got together and talked about the issues that are facing our our you know our, our larger police unions across the country, uh, and and how we're impacted. One thing that is a a common denominator and one that we've been running, we've been, you know, signaling for quite some time. And that is the best of the brightest just aren't taking this job. At the same time, the people who have committed their lives to public safety are saying, you know what, I'm either eligible for retirement or I can find more stable work somewhere else. Uh, and they're leaving our profession at a rate we've never seen before. Uh, now, there are a lot of factors that do that. But I will, I will argue with you, the greatest one is this. 
as you know, we went through this whole thing about depolicing. That ship has sailed. But I still think that a lot of cities are, they, they figured out the best way to depolice is just to take away the attractiveness of this job. Uh, and, 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 you know, somewhere along the way, we, we forget the fact that we talk about crime going up, you know, 200%, 400% in some cities. And, you know, numbers are impersonal. It's people. There are yeah. people and lives that are changed with every one of them. This failed experiment is costing people their lives. It's making our communities and our jobs less safe. But it's not something that's going to be fixed tomorrow because the damage that has been done, done during that time has put us in an existential crisis on the next wave of law enforcement. We have a manpower shortage across this country and, and a number of factors. And, uh, and, and here we are. You know, every law enforcement officer... Uh, any, any profession. I don't care what, what, what your job is. We need two things. Everybody. We need to know that what we're doing is important and that we're appreciated for doing it. And if you don't have those two things, then I think it, 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 it's a morale killer in any business, mm-hmm. any, any profession. So here we are in law enforcement. The majority of people in law enforcement were invited into law enforcement by other law enforcement officers that saw that quality and said, you know what, you should apply. They didn't get it because they saw a commercial on TV. They, they saw it because it was sold to them as saying, you know what, you, you've got the qualities. Be, help us be the next wave of law enforcement. Help us define the future of law enforcement. They're not coming to this job because you know what? The best and brightest can go make somewhere, money somewhere else and, uh, and don't have to subject themselves and their families to the damage that has been done by politicians and media and many who are much more concerned or much more interested in the problem than in our solution. What are you seeing in, uh, in Riverside having to do with recruiting and how is, it, how is all this rhetoric affecting you? Yeah, so it's affecting Riverside County just, just like it is everywhere else, uh, as you mentioned. I mean, we're getting people applying. And fortunately, we have a great sheriff that we helped get elected um, couple years back four years ago or five now um so we we get people applying but you're not getting the people that are applying that want to do this job for a career or want to stay loyal to the department or the area they're not you know most most don't even live in the area yet or they're moving to the area um but it's they're not doing it for what you and i signed up for this like like you said we signed up to this to give service above self um, servant's heart yeah, and and the servant's heart, and uh, like you said, we were talked into it. You know, my wife's a deputy for San Bernardino County, and and if you asked her today, um, would you let our daughter become a cop? She said, no, go be a fire firewoman or fireman, um, and and that's the sad part right there. Um, you know, it goes. It also plays with the uh, with the Hollywood and the media. You can't you can't find a, a show on TV nowadays. Um, that doesn't portray the, the police in, in some bad light yeah. or anything like that. I mean, we grew up with, with Chips and, and Adam-12 that, you know, um, portrayed cops as, as the servants that they are. And um, so it all plays a big part. But, yeah, we're, we're having the same problem. I mean, you know, it's like that chief from New York said, we're expected to, um, you know, talk like lawyers and think like psychologists and, and, and perform like athletes and, and – um, be second guest on, on everything and third guest on everything and um, scrutinize on everything. And, and, and people just don't want to do that. And then, you know, all these departments are so short staffed, so they're not even getting time off. Um, and they're, they're starting to realize, Hey, I can, I can go drive a, a, a tractor and become an apprentice and then a member of their union and make just as much money 
and have nights and weekends off and holidays off and uh, go to every kid's function that I need to go to on the weekend and, and be at home. And, uh, you know, these guys, these new cops get on and they, oh, I have to work Christmas. Yeah, you got to work Christmas, you know. Um, Somebody has to. Yeah, there's a good portion of my life where I didn't get to work or where I didn't get to be home at Christmas or holidays or miss my daughter's birthday. And I know that that's the line that uh, everybody says, but it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. Um, And until you walk a a day in in a cop's shoe, you know, that's one of the biggest things that we do. We take a lot of our lawmakers who will do it and we take them down to the, you know, shoot, don't shoot simulator and the use of force simulator. And they all walk out of there going, wow, you know, and, and, and that's great to actually um, see that. And I appreciate it. But until you walk a day in the shoes, you know, and I tell my own members that, you know, I got members that like to, complain about this or that, or that job's not as hard as my job or whatever. I'm like, go walk a day in their shoes and then you can feel it. And, and, you know, if we get more of these lawmakers to go on ride alongs, not during the daytime with the handpicked deputy, that's just going to go out and shag whatever calls. Um, no suit up at a, at a graveyard shift and, and put a vest on underneath take your calls jacket as they come. and, yeah. and take whatever, whatever the next blip is on the, on the uh, screen. Yeah. And you go to that call and, and see uh, what these guys are out and gals are out there dealing with. And they'll see that cops, uh, you, you know, it as well as I do cops we're we're, we're good. The majority of us are good. Uh, but they want to attack that small percentage, you know, but there's bad in every profession, in every profession yeah. to include politicians. They're bad politicians. They're bad doctors. There's bad lawyers. There's bad teachers. Um, but that doesn't define the other, you know, million of us that are out there that are actually yeah. doing the job. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and ultimately doing the Lord's work and send me. There you I'll, go. That's I'll it. Go forward. Send me. There you go. I'm going to ask you one more question. All uh, right. uh, so, I mean, you, you have a, you have an impressive uh, uh, association. Okay. Uh, it's it's well rounded. Covers uh, it, it provides such great benefits to your members. So vitally important to to their their uh, quality of life and stability. Not only for that, but for the community as well. All of that. Uh, but you made a decision and made a big push to to become part of the FOP. Tell me what that motivation was and why you felt like uh, uh, that having that national presence, uh, state and national presence through the FOP was beneficial. Well, the biggest thing for me is the the brotherhood and sisterhood of, of, of joining that national uh, voice for law enforcement. Um, you know, since I became president, I've gone to all these meetings and listened to everybody and found that the one thing that we fail at uh, the, the firemen are so good at is they have a national voice and, and, and we don't, everybody and anybody wants to be the voice of law enforcement from every little group or whatever. And, um, my thought was why go out and recreate what's already been done for a hundred years and, um, not, not just get involved. So, um, I got involved. Uh, I like having the national voice and, and being part of that. I mean, the, all the other benefits are great. I, I tell my members, I'm like, you know, there's so many, um, you know, sub benefits that the FOP offer. You log on and find out what which one it is because it may be, you know, a scholarship for me and it may be cheap dental for you or something like that. Um, but it, it, it was to join that united front and, and try to help create one voice and, and bring my membership to it and, and, uh, and do all that. So, and then, you know, there's other things I'd like, I know that the FOP is looking at doing the medical trust and I'd love to be a a help with that. 
because I think there is strength in numbers and, and we can continue to uh, grow. But um, I wanted to put the ego aside and, and say, look, this is, this is something that's been around for a hundred years and let's get involved and, and give our two cents. Yeah. Well, 364,000 members uh, across this country making a difference in the lives of their communities. That's a uh, welcome to our family and uh, uh, just very much appreciate, uh, appreciate all you bring, uh, to, uh, you know, into the FOP as well. It's not, it's not so much of what uh, the FOP can do for you. It's what, uh, what you can do uh, to, to collectively help, uh, help in better improve uh, the criminal justice system and a quality of life for our members. So welcome aboard. And to our viewers and listeners uh, back home, thank you for tuning into the Blue View, where we, we talk about those issues that are so vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up every single day and make a difference in the lives of those we serve. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.